0: the night after trump was elected uh you know i was i was surprised like everyone else i there was an event i live in austin texas and there was an event an event at book people which is austin's big independent literary bookstore and there were hundreds of people there and a bunch of austin awesome writers uh, were gathered and there was a woman there who was a writer and a martial arts instructor, and she was leading the crowd in in like a call and response chant, like chanting things, and people were chanting back. And one of the things she chanted was, I will think for myself. And the entire crowd chanted back as one, I will think for myself. And I looked around, and I was like, these people aren't thinking for themselves.
1: Welcome to The Unspeakable Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Daum. My guest is author Neil Pollack. I'm going to tell you more about him in a second. But first, a very quick word about my new project you've probably heard me talking about lately, The Unspeakeasy. It is in the works, yes. What is it? It is a heterodox women's community, an intellectual free space for free-thinking women. Free-thinking, free-thinking can be thankful, an intellectual space for free-thinking women, of which there are apparently a lot because I have been flooded with interest about this project. If you would like to learn more about it, you can go to theunspeakeasy.com and find out more. You can get on a mailing list. You can leave me a note and tell me what kinds of offerings you would be interested in. This is something I'm going to be working on through the summer, so I would love to hear from you about it. Okay, enough of that. My guest is Neil Pollack, working under the nom de guerre, the greatest American living writer. Neil has published 11 books. He has written about subjects like fatherhood, yoga, and marijuana addiction, among lots of other topics. His latest book is a novel, Edge of Safety. It is newly out, brand new. It's a satirical dystopian novel set at some indeterminate point in the future. In this world, the well behaved citizens of Canada live in an almost perpetual state of high COVID alert, walking their dogs on treadmills during stay home orders and having their food delivered by drones. Their trusty Smokey the Bear like public service mascot, Safety Moose, keeps them updated on the threat level. Meanwhile, the United States has descended into ecological and infrastructural chaos thanks to its lack of unified response. In this conversation, Neil talks about the pandemic in relation to his fictional characters, his own real-life friends and neighbors, and the hysteria and breathlessness in much of the media. We also talk about the vagaries of the book publishing business. He and I have been working writers for exactly the same number of years, and Neil's side career as a competitive trivia player, and that includes winning more than $60,000 on Jeopardy. So here is my conversation with Neil Pollack.
0: That's my hard out.
1: Okay. Hard out. That should be the name of your next book.
0: Me, maybe.
1: Where all, everyone who exited the media is just going to call their next project hard out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's the opposite <laughs> of soft landing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Neil, Neil Pollack, welcome to The Unspeakable.
0: Hey, thank you, Megan. Nice to talk to you.
1: Yeah, it's long overdue. Um, you know, we, we've known each other for quite a while, and we finally have an occasion to have you on. You have a, a new book, Edge of Safety. It's a novel. Is this your, like, 12th book or 13th?
0: This is my 12th book. I published my first book in the year 2000. So 12, 12 and 22 years. That's pretty good.
1: God, that's like... So you're, you're practically writing books at the rate that Woody Allen makes films.
0: I don't have anything else to do. So, yeah, but hey, neither- it just makes sense. And I I, I actually, it. you know, I I enjoy writing books. It writing oh. actually gives me pleasure.
1: Yeah, I don't what's that about? Has that always been the case?
0: Yeah, I've just I've always uh, gotten a kick out of it and I I like making myself laugh even if I don't uh, make other people laugh. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I just have a, I have a, um, some sort of uh inner motor <laughs> that, that forces me to do it. And, and I, and I'm able to write many books because my books are short yeah. and I, I don't ponder stuff for years and years. And I don't, you know, I, I'm always confused when I see the writers who have like the, um, cork boards with the post-it notes and the, and, and mm-hmm. the lines going to the post-it notes and, I mean, I, I occasionally will do a little outline in a notebook and then, I'll, you know, like a one page outline and then I'll just go from there. But I, my goal is to get the book done as quickly as possible so I could write the next one. This was my COVID novel, right? This is the novel I wrote in two thousand and twenty twenty-one, 2021. And there were just endless distractions uh, <laughs> for, for everyone. There was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And the book is a satire of that era. So I was kind of watching it develop and watching. Uh, trends ebb and flow. And so I wasn't exactly sure where I was going to go with it until, until I was.
1: Yeah. And I think this is the first uh, satirical COVID novel that I've seen. I don't know if this is going to become a genre, but um, you've certainly uh, pried the door open.
0: Yeah. I mean, Gary Steingart wrote something called our country friends, which uh, it was had some humor to it. And was sort of a, a satire of social mores. But at the end of the day, he kind of took COVID and COVID policies seriously. And he had one of his characters actually die of COVID. And uh-huh. there was a, you know, there's a lot of these bunch of these, it's about these rich people living in a compound in upstate New York. And, um, and uh, one of them is an actor, kind of a Brad Pitt style actor who leaves for a while to work on a project. And he brings COVID back to the compound and infects everyone. And I'm just like, oh. come on, come on. This isn't 28 days later. Conveniently there is a character with one lung who contracted it and died very, 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 no, but not yeah, before having a, a, he yeah. had a 40 page hallucination about the 90s. Anyway, that's not what this book is. Okay, not, well now not, that you now that
1: you've described Gary Steingart's novel, um it's been great having you on the show. <laughs> oh my
0: god, I'm sorry. Yes, no. I know, but uh, yes, Thanks my novel is not that. My novel is uh is a set in a dystopian future Canada where uh social distancing and lockdowns and masking and non-pharmaceutical interventions, as they call them, um, have become the norm. And it's just the way of life for everyone. Everyone has grown up this way and they're used to it and they like it, or at least they think they do.
1: Yeah. So why did you set this in Canada and how far into the future is it? It has a sort of idiocracy feel to it. You have the um, the American that comes and sort of brings the main character uh, over to the States and she's quite alarmed. Like, yeah, tell, tell us kind of how far away this is and and why why Canada.
0: Well, it's not, uh, the date is not completely 100% set in stone. I would say it's about 100 years in the future. And I decided to set it in Canada because Canada, unlike the United States, marched in I would say eighty five percent lockstep with the social distancing and lockdown and masking policies, mm-hmm. whereas well, the United States was
1: they're better than us as people.
0: Well, they're just more. Um, it, it's Canada's like if if the Democrats were eighty five percent of the people. Yeah, so, no, their, their
1: um, answer to that would be we're better than you, and that's why we. Proceeded as such,
0: yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you know, the the U.S. has Florida and Texas and Arizona and other places that just South Dakota that just wouldn't play the game so much. So I said it in Canada because it it, it seemed like a more logical place to uh, work these ideas out. Uh, It's a more, I'd say, you know, it generally has been more conformist. Is closer in some ways to Australia to Australia and the way they approach COVID uh, than the United States. Their rules were a lot tighter. I mean, they wouldn't allow. They wouldn't allow the Toronto Blue Jays, which is their, you know, their main Major League Baseball team, to play games in Canada. They made them play in Buffalo uh, at, at, because that was so much safe COVID safer. They were trying to protect themselves, and so it seemed like a more logical place for these sort of um how should I put it great reset COVID policies to just sort of take hold. Whereas I mm-hmm. whereas I don't think I, I don't think um I mean in a certain percentage of the u.s population i think would would buy into it but I, there's there are, there'd there be a lot of persistence here
1: okay and the main character is named amelia and she is a kind of government apparatchik type
0: yeah she works she works in a you know she's like a almost like a she has a team that she works with on zoom and their job is to um promote and, in, and get people excited about stay home policies and that's what the government does is it randomly issue Everyone's always social distancing and masking and being careful and living in bubbles ordinarily. But then the government issues these stay home orders um, and people just obey them. And uh, Amelia is her job is to basically, like, you know, lead a team to motivate people to try to follow these orders. She's like a propaganda, middle, mid level propaganda minister, essentially.
1: Okay, and she has a little dog, and they can't even really walk outside. they don't go outside, so the dogs use treadmills, for instance, to exercise during stay um, home, yeah,
0: they have patios yeah. they have like enclosed patios so, that, so okay. they can they can get some get some u v rays um get their vitamin d but yeah, you know they're, again, like there are times when they're allowed to go to the store and they can go to the parks i mean everything's very nice on the surface, right you know there there's there's no pr- there's no private vehicles all. There's like electric drones that deliver you your food. The air is clean. Um, You know, everything is, is very crisp and orderly. Uh And so you go to these parks and they can, but they, but they do, they have to, they have to like, they don't walk. They stand on these treadmills that kind of move them through the parkland, at, you know, six feet apart.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what happens? She does end up going into the U S so why don't yeah, you Well, basically uh, us.
0: Amelia while she's playing with her dog during a stay home order, her window is unlatched and she falls out the window. It's like a, you know, it's not a, it's a first story window. So she's, it, it, she, she hits her head and she blacks out a little bit, but, and then she wakes up and finds herself outside during a stay home order, which she's never mm-hmm. done before. Um, and then, you know, she doesn't die right? So, and, and, or, or suffer any ill effects whatsoever. And she ends up getting picked up by this, um, I guess you got to call it a ragtag band (laughs) of, of, of resistors of stay home resistors who have been, who have either on purpose or accidentally violated stay home in the past. And, uh, and she finds out what happens to people who get caught and it's not pleasant. It's silly. It's a silly thing that happens to them. Uh, as long as they don't repeat offend. Uh but it 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 it's not pleasant. And then uh yeah, eventually they they're hooked up with a uh resistance network in the United States that uh is, is trying they they basically they need some of the US needs some of Canada's natural resources, like water and maple syrup, of course. Um mm. and so the US is trying to uh surreptitiously bring down this regime, this Canadian regime and, and open the borders, basically.
1: Okay. Okay. So unlike, okay. And, so unlike, and, and,
0: uh, and Amelia is becomes the center of this whole of all these shenanigans, unwittingly. Okay.
1: And the, and the, we should say the nation's capital is in Phoenix.
0: The, um, the, na- the nation's capital of the U.S. is in Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, some uh, untold calamity has occurred in Washington, D.C. I decided right. to do Arizona instead of fl- Florida, just felt a little obvious. Um, yeah.
1: A little on the nose.
0: And I also grew up in Phoenix, and so I I I, knew, I know it fairly well, and I can make fun of it more readily. Whereas I've only been to Florida a few times.
1: And what are the other kinds of uh, shocking dystopian developments that have happened in the U.S.? I'm, I'm trying to, to remember. There's like a there's there's a sort of agricultural shift. There's to agricultural the chaos. The there's
0: there's yeah. all kinds of environmental stuff. You know, California has seceded. Um, some stuff's underwater. There's some deserts desertification phoenix right. is very hot i mean it's always very hot but they've decided to place it under a dome
1: oh it's under a dome and there's it's a second a- grand canyon
0: yeah there's the second grand canyon that opened up after an earthquake and i don't really like say whether or not any of this is because of climate change or just because uh the climate is changing <laughs> climate changes you know it's not really it's it's not this is not a uh it's not a climate change novel but yeah you, know, I, I, you figure no. like you can't you know there's no way you can present the United States as some sort of a utopian paradise in a hundred years in the future. I just don't don't really think that's where it's headed. I wrote it out of a a burning need to um, get my thoughts and feelings about the politics of the COVID era onto paper but i but I'm not a pundit um you know I'm not andrew Sullivan or whatever you know I'm not I, I'm, I'm not glenn greenwald um you know I, I didn't I I don't have a substack uh so I, I I my way of getting my not my ideas out is through uh through fiction and through satire and so I I just kind of wrote it because I needed to write it and I used my imagination <laughs> <laughs> and which is wow. what novelists do it, it, that i learned i learned to do that watching sesame street as, as a little kid and I, I continued to apply those lessons and so then i i wrote it i had a complete draft i sent it to my agent murray who um <laughs> your agent murray, murray. Well, it sounds Mur- like you're an murray's, attorney. Kind of a stage, he, murray's kind of an agent's stage name but he he does go by murray and uh and, you know, he, he liked it, and he sent it around to numerous publishers. I don't know how, a couple of dozen. Um, mm. And most of them just uh, didn't respond at all. And <laughs> had, uh, and many of them said, "We no, we're not, we have something similar in the works, or we're not really doing uh, COVID books, we're not really doing satire. Or most likely, most of them were like, well, Neil Pollock hasn't sold uh, very well. Ever so uh,
1: okay, but hang on. I like you've published twelve books. You're telling me that some houses didn't respond at all.
0: My like crickets? my reputation isn't that good, Megan. I mean, I, but you know, still, if I, you're
1: not. This no. is not an over the transom submission.
0: No, I mean, I know. I understand that. Like, I you know, I, I have a you know a name to some small mid list name. Um, but uh, you know, my I published six of those books through Amazon publishing. And that didn't in exactly endear me to the mainstream publishing industry. my last book, which came out in in the middle of uh the pandemic june twenty twenty uh came out through a um a, a recovery based press uh in las vegas um It's been a long time it's been almost fifteen years since I've had a book put out by a major house and that was and- my 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 yoga memoir stretch, which came out i think in twenty ten from Harper, uh, Harper perennial. So it's, it's been a while and I just, you know, it's not, I'm not exactly, um, what, uh, the publishing houses are looking for. I don't think, I think though, I mean, I, I don't know. I would have bought this book in a second if I, if, if someone had, if I'd submitted my own novel to myself, but, um, it, you know, it's also short, it's 180 pages, and, uh, that, while well, you'd think that would be cheap to publish. I think they
1: like that now. I think they yeah. like that now, especially cause uh, audiobooks are really the main thing. So short audiobooks, yeah. you can't really, it's not like you can look at the audio file and be like, Oh, this is
0: too short. It's, this is this is a ripoff." It's, it's short. It's a two, you know, it's, it's a, it's a one afternoon book. It's a two sitting novel really. Um, but, uh, this, uh, so we only got one response, one positive response. And that was from um, Adam Bellow, who, uh, who had, who is, uh, in addition to being uh, Saul Bellow's son is a long um you know is a long standing uh, publisher of note yeah. and he runs a conservative imprint called uh Bombardier Books which is associated with a big publisher as an affiliate of a big publisher but isn't a big publisher and so you know i'm being published um on on an imprint alongside books you know talking about how barack obama is evil and you know you know uh, sky yeah. atlas Scott Atlas's book. He published Scott Atlas's book. Scott Atlas was the uh, doctor who uh, pr- uh, Donald Trump brought in, sort of toward the end of his term, to try to like counteract some of the COVID oh, hysteria right. so all, all that stuff. Um, and so uh, that's that's who bit. Um, and he really liked the book, and he wants to get into doing more satirical fiction. And he seemed interested in publishing future books of mine. And while I don't identify. Identify as a conservative, particularly I'm like, well, I don't care. I'll, 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 you know, he's he's a smart editor, and you know, likes my work, and I'm I'm gonna go for it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had this conversation a couple times recently with my students. So I teach um, private workshops mostly in personal essay and memoir, and we were talking about just how hard it is to find places that will publish people who are not specifically dealing with you know, progressive politics or, you know, check any number of boxes. And I was telling my students that I had had several conversations with authors recently, and we were all sort of lamenting that, you know, there are certain books that we might want to write, but we didn't feel that they would be published by anything but a conservative imprint. Or, you know, I'd been talking with a colleague who you know had an offer i don't think from bombardier but something similar and this person was like i don't know if i don't know if i should do this is it going to ruin my reputation and one of my students who is a very smart person is not particularly a member of the the media um she was just like you know what who cares you guys are twisting yourselves in knots uh worrying about this and the fact is that like the general reading public doesn't look at Who publishes a certain book, let alone the politics of that publisher. And uh, more importantly, in 10 years, none of this stuff is going to matter because everyone is going to have to, quote unquote, resort to these conservative presses and they won't even be conservative necessarily anymore because they'll be publishing all kinds of books. So I thought that was an astute observation.
0: Well, that's right. And, you know, and my my goal has always been to make fun of the literary elite. That's what I did in my first <laughs> book, the Neil Pollock Anthology of American Literature. And my greatest living American writer character has always done that and has always kind of take, taken the piss, as it were, out of those people. And, you know, that generation that I was originally making fun of, the Norman Mailer, Gore Vidal, Philip Roth, you know, John Updike generation, they're all dead. <laughs> they are I mean, that, that that's, that's
1: right. Saul Bellow generation.
0: The Saul Bellow generation, you know, there's like, there's a very, you know, Don DeLillo, Joyce Carol Oates, Cormac McCarthy. um, And and that's about, you know, there's a few people left of the, from the boomer writer, well, greatest generation of boomer writers, but not many. And so the, you know, the literary elite now is this sort of snotty conformist PC liberal elite of, of uh, Gen X and millennial writers. And, you know, I mean, maybe I'm one of them. I don't know, but I, I, I I'm just like, I just feel like you know. I mean, but I don't agree with things I see them writing about and saying a lot of times. And so I'm like, well, what am I? You know, I got nothing. I've got nothing to lose. Literally nothing. Not like I have <laughs> some sort of amazing sinecure that I'm going to blow by you know, talking talking shit about some of these people.
1: Well, okay. I think about this all the time, though. So I mean. We're the same generation of writer. We were running around in the same circles. We I feel like either I used to agree with them or it didn't matter. Maybe it just didn't matter or it didn't come up. Like all of these, you know, this kind of elite, um, you know, PC, woke, whatever you want to call it, kind of progressive establishment writer, literary writer. We're not talking about commercial writers, talking about the literary people, the people who win awards, who are on judging committees for awards, who show up at festivals, that kind of thing. Uh, like, you know, 10 years ago, we would all be together and it wouldn't matter. Like the, the sort of particular contours of our politics wouldn't matter. People weren't even particularly political. Um, we, we sort of enjoyed and evaluated one another's work on the aesthetic merits more than anything. And that shifted at some point.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, of course. And I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I think the shift came um when uh Trump was elected you know before then you know cuz we all kind of were living in this uh liberal I, the, the Obama years were like the uh liberal Eisenhower years right where like there was a lot of stuff roiling underneath the surface but we were all kind of like living in this cloud of like uh you know bourgeois goodness and uh, we were just we thought we were on top um, but i think then, it was before i think it was before Trump maybe really? a little bit
1: maybe I'm a little, little
0: bit Right. but it really Wait, like, it, well, he, 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 I I had an experience. So the night after Trump was elected, uh, you know, I was, I was surprised like everyone else. Um, I, there was an event, I live in Austin, Texas, and there was an event, an event at book people, which is Austin's big, uh, independent literary bookstore. And there were hundreds of people there and a bunch of Austin writers, um uh, were gathered. And there was a woman there who was a writer and a, martial arts instructor and she was leading the crowd in, in a, like a call and response chant, like chanting things. And people were chanting back. And one of the things she chanted was I will think for myself. And the entire crowd chanted back as one, I will think for myself. And I looked around and I was like, these people aren't thinking for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is weird, you know, and, and it really like Megan, this really like <laughs> came, um, This really like came into focus for me during COVID uh, because I, early on, I was like, all right, I mean, I understand COVID is serious and I, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated and I was pro vaccine and I, I, I understand that they're helpful, but I saw my cohort just retreat into this like incredibly conformist fear and paranoia. And I started having arguments with people on social media, like I'd never had before you know i i i went i i went to the movies uh, in may of 2020 uh texas where i live and, like never really shut it was shut down for about 6 weeks and then the governor reopened the state um mm-hmm. so, soon after i mean before covid had even really started here and i started i just, and I, you know i run a, a movie website for my uh a pop culture website for my day job so i started going to the movies and i was writing about it and people were calling me a murderer <laughs>
1: Even though there was no one else in the theater, there like, were like,
0: yeah. like four Mexican guys. Like a, like, like a private screening room. Yeah, like you finally Mexican.
1: be traded like a proper critic.
0: Yeah, it was great. You know, and I was seeing like second run movies. I, you know, I went to, or like, you know, off brand Rus- Russell Crowe genre pictures or whatever. You know, there wasn't a lot playing in the summer of 2020 when I was sitting in these movie theaters by myself. And, um, and um, you know, or, or, um, at, even after after the vaccines you know that you i don't you probably remember the delta variant you know oh,
1: vaguely now the, yes the delta variant Long i was like ago. well
0: i got my vaccine and i was like i started going to see music again i started playing poker i started you know, there were some parties and it looked like things you know hot girl summer was supposed to happen and then <laughs> the delta variant came along and people started retreating into their holes again and talking you know and 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 um and they were talking about how their children were in danger because they weren't vaccinated and that just simply. Hasn't borne out and proven to be no, true. I think I
1: think that people. was not not known not to be true even by then. If you were yeah, paying but attention. people were
0: still going crazy and like yeah. you know and I, I people were were saying I was endangering their. Oh, I, I had a guy who I'd been who used to be my neighbor in Austin. I've been friends with for twenty years. Reported me to Facebook for misinformation <laughs> because I said that masks didn't work, which they don't.
1: It, they <laughs> don't at all. You know at all. Even I mean, the N K N
0: ninety five.
1: Cuba snorkel
0: sure. mask. Yeah, maybe they do. Maybe the K N ninety fives with the snorkels or whatever. But I'm but I was just like, I'm not gonna wear a mask. I'm vaccinated. I don't have to. There's no mandate in Texas. I'm not gonna do it. I'm taking a risk. And people were, you know, reporting me for misinformation. One guy one guy a local media figure um accused me of uh spreading contrarian chuckles that were going to lead oh. to to contrarian that's so that's a word they use anyway so well i guess what i'm saying is like all this COVID stuff like really um clarified to me that you know maybe these aren't my people anymore
1: i want to get back to the the literary community sure. for a second here because i think this is i i can't talk about this enough i feel like i mean it was before trump it was like 2014 i feel like like i feel
0: like um yeah, things changed. Basically, um, the notion of who was in charge and who the literary elite was and who you had to please in order to be considered part of the literary elite changed And around, around that time. And I think, I think that's an accurate assessment.
1: And like, it used to be that being, quote unquote, contrarian or offering something surprising or slightly provocative or unsettling was the job. It was your job as a writer. I mean, I've said this a million times. That's what attracted me to the profession and i'm presuming the same with you like why did you want to be a writer in the first place or did or did you want to be something else was this your fallback
0: option no i i always wanted to be a writer. i just like i just like telling stories i know that sounds stupid but it, but it is true i i do have a contrarian uh personality and persona and i've and, and i've always um you know wanted to express my my what i consider my somewhat off-kilter ideas but really like i was just in it for uh or the fun, <laughs> the fun of writing.
1: Wow. Okay, but you i, know, I right? I'm, weird. It's I'm weird. Looking, I know yeah, it's I weird. Don't, I don't get true. that. I don't get it. Whatever. You do. You. Have I like your writing. Fun. I can't help it.
0: I like. I, 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 I enjoy it.
1: You. Excuse <clears> me. <throat> you have, according to your bio, you have written eleven best-selling books of fiction and nonfiction, mm. Yeah, published somehow, in multiple I mean, languages. I mean, is this true? Are you making this up, or is this such that like the vagaries of publishing? are such that this this can be true at the same time as one can not get their uh, proposal queries returned.
0: Some of the books <laughs> have appeared on regional bestseller lists <laughs> for a week or two at okay. a time. Okay. I do have some international editions of some of my books. I have books in Italian and German. And Dutch, I, I have and Spanish. Oh yeah, Dutch. I see them they like
1: account. I yeah. I have some Dutch. Too. The Dutch seem to like our our kind.
0: They used to reason. at least, at least they used yeah. back in the McSweeney's days. When I was associated with Dave Eggers, I I had a lot more. Uh, I was getting a lot more attention. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I just, but I, I think you're right that there was there there was a change. There was uh, suddenly like the um, the people who had been. Cool and in charge were no longer cool and in charge, and uh, i certainly i certainly found myself i not even deliberately I was already kind of on the outs i'd already you know sort of drifted away, but um you know it became harder and harder to find uh common ground with your uh, my, my fellow writers
1: and the cool and in charge people who who do you mean by that like the the old guard that just sort of retired or died
0: yeah no i I just mean like the um you know, the people who are driving the conversation, the literary Mm -hmm. conversation. Suddenly things became a lot less fun, you know, a lot less freewheeling.
1: And is that because of digital media? Is that because of BuzzFeed and Gawker and... Well, Gawker was fun. I mean, Gawker and Jezebel in the beginning. And then at a certain point... Okay. Oh, why? (laughs) Did you get dragged on? Oh, that's right. Do you want to tell us what happened? Yes. My God, Yes. You got dragged by Gawker, but this is like a a, a claim to fame uh, in a way. But go ahead. Tell us, tell yeah, us what happened. I, 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 and had some when. Bad
0: encounter, I had some bad encounters with Gawker, but at least it meant that I was in the conversation. It was Yeah,
1: lively. exactly. Okay. But when, what year was this and and what, what, what crime did you commit?
0: Uh, uh, I was uh, mid-aughts. And that was the, I mean, I was, I was uh, initially in Gawker's favor. Um, and then I published Alternidad, which was my book about being a Gen X hipster parent um and then i started trying to turn that into some kind of like hipster parent media empire and gawker <laughs> didn't didn't take very kindly to that and uh were, were they were really really giving me a hard time and you know did their best to uh kneecap my attempts and they were were fairly successful at it you know they certainly i mean i i i made i made my own uh mistakes and i was doing a lot of drugs back back then so it's not like it was all gawker's fault uh, <laughs> either, but at at all uh, but it was a contributing factor but it, at but least when it you... was lively at least it was lively and you and, know and it, it feels it feels less lively now
1: right but when you say they were trying to kneecap you what do you mean they were writing articles making fun of you and your book like what, what yeah and also that making
0: like? fun of my toddler son they one of these writers developed like a persona uh speaking in my toddler son's voice and talking about how is i was you know basically abusing him and turning him into a horrible person. And you know, this is now that son is now Mm -hmm. almost 20 years old. And he Googled himself recently. He's like, he's like, damn it, dad, this stuff is still out there. Gawker has reactivated their archives and he can, people who are trying to hire him for jobs or internships or whatever are still seeing that stuff.
1: Maybe he could go work for Gawker.
0: I I would, I would, um, that would be, that that would be the ultimate fiddler on the roof. There is no other hand moment for me. Very meta yeah it's not i mean gonna i don't happen. know it's okay
1: but so uh, because in a way you were ahead of your time so you're saying you're tr- you were trying to make a media empire out of uh, out of uh, a creative project a concept and this is what everybody has to do now right but you were trying to do this back in the in the mid 2000s so yeah, i had a youtube what- channel
0: an early youtube channel and you did I, uh, yeah i did I, I there's a bunch of youtube videos of me and my kids sticking it up um we know the the Neil and Elijah show. We called it. They're still out there. Um, I had, uh, you know, I had blog and I had a a community and the internet parenting community. We published articles and I, you know, I was like writing for di- different places and it was, um, and I was trying. I I I also like, you know, at least to me, famously tried to turn it in this into a movie and a TV show. And I wrote a I wrote an ebook about that that's available digitally it's a short little a sort kindle single as it were about my failed attempts Oh, to, right. I did kindle my best. Single. I did okay, my best. Okay, but what does that
1: mean? You tried to make it into a movie. I I what was the process of trying to be a a, a quote-unquote creator back then because we're all struggling with that now, but I think well, you're you're a a useful case study and like, you know Warner what,
0: Brothers what, pictures a de- uh optioned alternative ad and assigned I, I got to choose between michael ian black and dana gould to write the screenplay they were the two finalists um i chose dana gould um it could have been could have gone either way honestly there were you know that's kind of like a that's that's kind of a flip a coin situation and uh, he wrote a screenplay that was funny but then but you know but then kind of vanished so then um when that went away i then uh, went to tv and i teamed up with some TV writers, and we wrote a pilot and sold it to CBS. And then the day we sold it to CBS, the Writers Guild went on strike. And that, you know, I I, I don't think the pilot was actually that good. And, and, and you know, I don't think it really had any much of a chance, but you never know. Um, you know, we could have, we, we could have gotten it made, but we never got the opportunity to get it made because CBS just wiped the slate clean and that that was gone. And then I sold it again to some other writers. And then it, 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 every time I tried it, things got less and less likely. Um, and then eventually I just ran out of money and I had to leave LA. And, and, oh, this and is while re- you were re- in LA. Career, basically. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. And what did rebooting your career entail?
0: Well, um, I self-published a novel called Jubal. It was like a historical novel set in the 1930s uh, about, about Jewish basketball players in Philadelphia. And, um, and I also, uh, got a, a gig writing, uh, about cars for Yahoo autos. Okay. And I, and I, so I wrote about cars and I self-published this novel and, um, then I got a gig, uh, and then, then Amazon publishing picked up Jubal and republished it. And then they published four or five novels, uh, um, oh. and, Yeah. I got I got a multi-book deal. I mean, did they
1: pay you in advance for that? If they pick it up? Yeah.
0: I got a small, I mean, it was small. It was, you know, it was modest, but it was there. And so I was doing that and writing about cars and then, then that all fizzled. And then uh, in 2018 or so, I got this job editing uh, a pop culture website called book and film globe. And I'm still doing that, and I'm still writing books on the side, and uh, you know, it's just I'm I, I do whatever I can to stay afloat. You know, I'm not I'm not making I'm not making a vast fortune here, but I'm still in the game. You know, and that's really all that you can ask for is an opportunity to uh, to you know, take a swing at writing books, and and I still have a place that will publish my articles and let me edit articles, and I I, I kind of refuse to I I refuse to quit. I'm like a cockroach, yeah, a literary cockroach. I-
1: I, I i feel more and more that way myself although i'm yeah. kind of a cockroach that like stays stays hidden I, like, like hide a rat made in a drain pipe yeah thanks neil that's exactly no, that was no, that, I, that was.
0: Now you're not a rat you're no, I'm I, like i'm like the pizza rat the pizza rat of uh publishing
1: okay but like do, okay but your day job does it pay health insurance do you have an actual salary
0: i have a salary do you live? i have a salary um i would i could have health insurance through it but my wife is a uh community college art professor okay, this is she the has, uh, health insurance through her job.
1: So. Okay. So you're able see this. I, I, I'm not just like randomly dwelling here. I think this is really relevant and I think sure. people need to talk about this more. Like sure. if you are in the arts, uh, it's almost impossible to survive. Uh, if you don't have like either family money or a spouse with a, a regular job
0: yeah Um, I mean I guess I mean my parents died which wasn't great (laughs) it was horrible um and there was a yeah I I guess there's a little little bit of money behind but it's not you know it's like I don't have a vast fortune but real you know really like we support ourselves because like Regina and I have always done you know she teaches art and paints where she where and when she can and I write and edit and you know it's kind of the same way it was when we got married um you know 22 years ago we're, we're still kind of in in some ways in the exact same place which i guess is yeah. so bad
1: i mean did you um, could you have imagined that it would have been like that,
0: that i don't know i mean I, 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 don't really, I don't know i've just i i've I just kind of flowed with it i mean you know in 2000 when well late 90s i was a journalist in chicago i was working for a newspaper and started writing I was, I was publishing on the internet in the late '90s on, uh, you know, McSweeney's inter- internet tendency. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I know that technology has evolved and ebbed and flowed, but I don't feel like my career is really all that different, you know, at this point.
1: No, but it's harder. I, I just, I mean, I, I know, I hear what you're saying. Great. It is it's I've not never easy. Ha- I've never hustled more. I know. Uh, in my whole career, and I mean, yeah. I did have some lucky, lucky periods of time. But uh, I don't. I I'm pretty sure that I made more money when I was 26 than I made this year.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or last I, year. I, I I made more money this year than when I was 26. But I wasn't making. A, I mean, I was working at an alternative news weekly in Chicago, and I didn't have any a side hustle. So I, you know, so I have made more money this year than I did when I was 26. But I certainly haven't made more money this year than I did when I was 36. You know, mm-hmm. The, the, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had two. I had two six. I had. At least two six figure book advances, one for Alternate and then one for Nevermind the Pollux, which is my first novel. It uh, was like a history of rock and roll that like satirizes um, Lester Bangs and Grail Marcus's friendship. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a book <laughs> with a limited audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how get, they, I, I, you know, they gave me way too much money for that book and it sold 4,000 copies. And then I, I know, is it?
1: Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. amazing how much money, it's amazing how much they used to overpay people.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then I you but, know I got some ho- I had some Hollywood money but it didn't go that far when I lived in when you lived in when I was trying to live in Silver right. Lake or Echo Park wherever the hell I was I don't remember east side of LA you know sort of you know mid 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 stages of gentrification you know and that that all, I burned all that away real real fast. Um so yeah um I I don't you know yes I'm not making a a vast fortune. Uh, I I supplement my um my income with game show winnings.
1: We're going to pause here for a short message from me. Are you appreciating this conversation and wishing there were more like it out there? Well, there are lots more right here. I do this show every week, and I pretty much do it all by myself. That is why, as much as I'm loath to ask for help, people who know me know this, I am offering this gentle reminder that if you value honest, thoughtful, nuanced conversations with all kinds of people, novelists, scientists, philosophers, comedians, journalists, sometimes even just regular folks with something interesting to say, I hope you'll consider supporting the show in any way you can. One way to do this is by joining our Patreon community at patreon.com slash the unspeakable. You can join for as little as $5 a month. That gives you early and ad-free access to the show or for as much as $100 a month. And yes, people have done that. There are lots of perks at every level, including if you join at the $10 a month tier or higher, the chance to join our bi-weekly hangout where we, and that includes me, get together on Zoom to talk about a recent specific episode of the show. Joining at that level also gets you discounts on your first purchase of official unspeakable podcast, Nuanced AF Merchandise. If Patreon is not your thing, you can also make a one-time donation in any amount by going to the podcast's webpage at theunspeakablepodcast.com and clicking the donation button. This podcast is a one-woman enterprise. I'm not affiliated with any institution, media company, secret investment cabal, or anything like that. I do it because I love it. And if you love it, or even like it, I hope you'll consider supporting it in any way that makes sense for you. Leaving a positive rating or review wherever you get your podcasts is a big help, actually. And telling people about the podcast, sharing it with friends, just spreading the word actually means more to me than anything. So, thank you for listening to the show, for making the unspeakable worth speaking. And with that, back to the interview. <laughs>
0: I was on Jeopardy in 2013, uh, I, and uh, I won sixty-two thousand dollars. And I've won eh, not quite that that much, like playing t- trivia on the internet uh, since then. And then I was also this this year I, I appeared on the ABC game show The Chase, which is sort of like advanced Jeopardy where you're on a team and you have to play like a Jeopardy super champion and head to head. And I didn't win. I, I was I was up to win like 100 and fifty thousand dollars some absurd amount of money and uh, i just I, I i just lost by like a few seconds to james holzhauer who's like who's the greatest trivia player who's ever lived uh it's like playing michael jordan one-on-one in basketball essentially um anyway i so it's just you know trivia has uh all, and and knowledge sports i guess have always been like a hobby and, and a passion of mine and been able to cash cash in on that some extent wow yeah. so
1: how do you get on jeopardy how
0: do you have to like well, sign now up you just take now you just take an online test and then they then you do and then you know if you pass it i think you have to get 25 out of 30 questions right um th- back then it was like it was a uh, an in-person you had to go in a, into an in-person audition i had to drive to san antonio and go to a hotel ballroom now you just do it on zoom um and uh yeah they started obviously started that uh during during covid and it's just it's just continued because it's easier and cheaper um and uh and that's how i got on the chase as well as i did a zoom audition i took a test into the zoom Zoom audition um and then and so that and then then they put you if they like you and you're not a complete you know they have you have to be somewhat um appealing for television.
1: Yeah. I wondered uh, and, about that. Like, is there, what's the gatekeeping? Like, are you, well, you're like really I mean, I, how, how, how crazy and weird can you get away with being?
0: Well, here's the thing. Like I know, like I have kind of, an you know, I have kind of, I have a lot of interesting stories to tell, at least by the standards of game show contestants. Right. Um. So I, and, and I'm, you know, I've been on TV before I was on TV, even before I was on a quiz show. So I know how to be on TV. And so like I, once I passed the test, I was not, uh, worried that they weren't going to try to get me on as quickly as they possibly could because you know right well i'm 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 a, well, I, I have a, i just i just have this i had this feeling that i was going to yeah. make it um once you, you so you have to have the base the knowledge base and then after that um and then after that it's just kind of up to the discretion of the producers you know jeopardy jeopardy casts a real wide net um but I, anyway so i but i so i so i, I made it through and uh, you know it's been great. I mean I I I love the community. I mean I I've, I've you know I'm friends with many of the people who have been uh, Jeopardy champions or just Jeopardy contestants over the years and we we have trivia teams and we play on o- in online trivia leagues and it was real helpful especially during the early months of the pandemic when even I was staying home. Um we, it it was a hobby that we were able to you know kind of do together.
1: Wow. Know? Yeah. So people who have been on Jeopardy this is like a, a like a community. I mean, have oh, yeah. people like met and gotten like gotten married and stuff. Like how did the, do you guys get together in person? Like what yeah, what is a, it like? There's a
0: convention. There's a, a trivia convention um not based around Jeopardy based. There's a a, a trivia website called Sporkle. um and they're they're having a, a convention in um DC in September and I'm going to that. And there's all kinds of different competitions, just le- leagues and sub leagues and you know, there's there's you know, small prizes, thousand, two thousand dollars here and there, um, and there's definitely like you know, it, like 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 with um, chess or with a poker or backgammon or other sort of you know more sort of knowledge based you know brain sports. There's like there's tiers of
1: mm-hmm. people.
0: You know, I mean, I I would I would consider myself like I mean I'm a good player. Um, you'd want me on your regular pub trivia team, but sort of in the in the world of competitive trivia i'm sort of like you know the major league baseball equivalent of a quad a player like a, a guy you can bring up from the minor leagues and you perform on the big league roster but isn't going to be like an all-star like i'm good but i'm not like great
1: and what do you have to do to be great like is it just you a just matter have to know of everything <laughs> but is it is it a memory thing do you have to have like a photographic memory or is it just uh yeah like...
0: the truly the truly like best players uh, you know, I, I'm good at trivia because um, I've always been interested in learning things, and I, and I've, I, have you know, I was, I was a kid who was like reading almanacs and encyclopedias and just reading in general. Mm-hmm. I, you, I'm sure you know the feeling, and also just I've watched so I much TV. To. I don't
1: read anymore, but yeah, you, I. But I, I watched so much maybe. TV,
0: and I've seen so many movies. You know, and my current gig, we're editing a pop culture website, certainly helps keep me abreast of pop culture. Um, and then, and then, and then you know, the really good players, um, they make flashcards either mm-hmm. digital or in person. And they, st- I, I don't do the flashcards. That's like the equivalent to me, a trivia equivalent of writing a novel by like using the yarn <laughs> to connect them with the carry the
1: <laughs> right. Matheson wall board. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just, I w I, I won't do it, but I, but I will, um, you know, I was, I found myself not, not winning as often as I wanted because I didn't know enough about science uh, I had a big gap with science, so I like. St- I actually like read books of like science. Uh, you know, like Bill Bryson wrote a you know book that it's just like the history of science or whatever, and it it was relative. It was readable. You know, he's because he's a he's an entertaining yeah. writer, and so I, I read that and like you know, and I, I I take science quizzes even though I don't want to, just so I, mm-hmm. you know I'm not going to learn everything, but it actually has helped um, increase my knowledge, and then also like other weak spots like. You know, African geography and some certain areas of European history that I never studied. And, you know, you just keep supplementing. There are some areas that I just won't go into. Like a lot of these trivia people seem to know a lot about like board games and professional wrestling. And I'm just like, I just can't know. I can't know all of that.
1: So but, it's probably, it's better to be a specialist. Like you should yeah. just. Uh, yeah.
0: For instance, yeah. like there was, there was a question about some obscure, like I was playing an online game a few weeks ago. There's a question about like an obscure Ralph Ellison book. And I happened to have read it once upon a time. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm good at pulling that, you know, that sort of stuff mm-hmm. out, of, out of the fire. We're like old, sit- there... old, old sitcom knowledge. Very good with that.
1: Yeah, of course. Are, are there culture war battles going on within yes.
0: the trivia world? absolutely yeah there 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 was a really crazy one during covid there was a uh, a guy um who um flashed the okay sign after he won his third game
1: uh
0: oh yeah. yeah and then and suddenly like and and suddenly like he was like j anon as i call it there's a jeopardy contestants board on facebook they went insane j
1: anon j anon like jeopardy anonymous
0: yeah, yeah. okay j anon they went kind of crazy sounds like, and a, like a they were trying to like they were trying to like they were saying you know writing. Letters of protest to Jeopardy saying this guy was a white supremacist. And, you know, we, you know, and, and then and then also, um, boy, they really didn't like Dr. Oz when he guest hosted. <laughs> oh. They were furious, furious. I mean, like I was like, you know, they, I got petitions. Hundreds and hundreds of former Jeopardy contestants were signing this petition. I'm like, I, don't, I mean, I don't I think Dr. Oz is an idiot, but I don't, I'm not going to sign a petition saying he can't host Jeopardy. Well, come on. You know, or the whole, the whole, they were desperate to have LeVar Burton host Jeopardy. LeVar Burton right. was the people's choice. And then they put LeVar Burton on for a week and he was horrible.
1: So uh, presumably the okay sign guy had no idea what he was doing, right? I mean, I, mean, and
0: I don't know. Maybe he did. And just for people who, the the listeners
1: who don't know, I mean, I don't know that, you know, uh, the average unspeakable listener, I'm sure is very familiar with the, you know, all the semiotics of the OK sign, but that's considered like a uh, sort of white supremacy dog whistle, except yes. that except when used in the actual uh, traditional way. He
0: did have a history on Twitter of spouting conservative views and like, you know, and I, they found some political donations he'd made to, you know, the thing is, mm-hmm. like, the vast majority of trivia people are very, very left wing, very well, liberal.
1: I, is that because they're educated? Because I was going to say I can't yes. imagine. Uh, I mean, this would be a prime example of something where privilege does make a difference because yes. it has to do with your, how you grew up, if there's books yes. in your house, how well educated you are.
0: All yes, that. and and you know, and and if you look at the, you know, the if you watch old ep- episodes of Jeopardy from the '80s, it's all white, mostly white people, and now it's very diverse, and that's good, and it's good that there's a variety of people, you know, and but now you're seeing, you know, you're seeing a lot of, you know, you're seeing more trans contestants and et cetera, because that jeopardy... But and, that know, doesn't. But that's... Tra- <laughs> so I, long as I there's
1: tra- trans people, that makes up for the fact that there's no, like, you know, racial um, or ethnic minorities. Or, but
0: know, does that lots, make up for but the but lack, of lack, lack of... Lack there, there are lots of racial and ethnic minorities. I mean, there's have lots of... Have they had
1: to change the, the nature of the questioning, like the way they have to rewrite the SAT all the time so it's more culturally inclusive?
0: <laughs> you know there's still a lot of questions about Canada. <laughs> 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 it's strange. I mean, cause, you know, you Trebek is dead and they're still just like putting a lot of Canada, Canada mm. material up there. I don't, there, there's maybe been a little bit of diver, diversification. You know, there's not so many categories of like women writers, you know, there's maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more like, you know, African and Asian history. There's been a little bit of diversification of it, but I, I, I don't think that it's, um, you know, I, Jeopardy is a show that you know they they are watched. Everyone watches it, so um, you know of all ages. So you know, and they're they're trying right. to appeal to they're trying to appeal to their uh, you know their eighty year old um, syndicated TV viewer base as well. You know the people like you know I'm I'm like probably relatively young <laughs> for a, a Jeopardy viewer. Um, the contestants are younger though, and so yeah, there, there's been a bit of a change. But you know, and you know, I, I you know I have to try to keep up. Um and and I have to try to, you know, know uh stuff about Lizzo and Bad Bunny and Olivia Rodrigo and you know, and I'm, I'm I do not know what
1: any of those things right, are. Well, that's lizzo But you also have a funny. kid. You have a kid, so that helps you. Like somebody well, like me.
0: He, he's almost he's he's an adult now. But yeah, but it like you know, it definitely helped. Like, you know, it's like that he listened to Kendrick Lamar throughout his, his teenage years. Cause mm-hmm. it, but I, but that's that's ending, you know, that's ending. And so like I it, it gets harder and harder to, to, to stay, stay hip to this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you able to go back on or is it like one and done? With you know, they're
0: saying, they're saying now there's going to be a, a second chance uh, tournament. Uh, but I don't know if that's just for more recent contestants. I mean, I, I was on 10 years ago. I was on a long time ago. I mean, I would, I would have to wage some sort of like um, insane social media campaign in order oh. to uh to take and I, I, I could wage an insane social media campaign. It's not out of my uh realm of uh skill sets, but uh and I would do whatever it took <laughs> to to return. <laughs> you would to do same- whatever
1: it took to get on Jeopardy, but not necessarily to like promote your substack if you had one or something like that. See, this is right. where your priorities are. This is very telling.
0: Yeah, I don't I mean, look, I want to continue to write books. And I want to continue to be published. And I want people to continue to read the books. And I would love, for instance, for Edge of Safety, I would love it to find a significant audience. I think it's a funny book. I think it's a good book. I think that it's, in some ways, in terms of just sort of, you know, point A to point B to point C, my best book. And I think it's relevant. And I think people will like it and I want people to read it, but I'm not exactly sure how to get them to see it. But it,
1: I, it's definitely could be a series. It lends itself very nicely to like a limited series kind of thing. I'm sure you've thought yeah. about
0: that. And a sequel. Yes. I, I leave it open, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it would have to be a big hit. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I would like, I would. yeah, obviously like Murray, my agent Murray is, is, uh, you know, we're going to try to shop it around and we'll see what we can do. You know, but I I, I, a lot of a lot of that sort of um, youthful ambition that I had of like, you know, becoming a huge whatever is a lot of that is just kind of been replaced. And I I put writing books um, alongside trivia and poker playing and um, yoga. And uh, it's now like it's now just like part of my stream of of hobbies that I'm going to do until I die.
1: Wow, you're a balanced person. So you're saying your ambition has been replaced with. Sort of e- equal amounts of these other things, or it's been replaced by something else. Like
0: no, I mean, just I just desperation. I, I, yeah, hopelessly. I just, I, I, I just kind of, I just kind of move about, move, move through my various interests, um, and try, try to enjoy my life. I feel like you know, one of the things that um happened during COVID is I feel like people stopped enjoying their lives, and I just, I feel like you know, it was frustrating that so much of my co- cohort when told to stay home and to stop doing things, just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said,
1: okay. Well, I think that they started enjoying uh, the life that they were sort of ashamed to have desired previously, which was to, to stay home and do nothing. I mean, this is a great opportunity. Yeah, but um, I think A lot I know, of people but- really like, enjoy- no, I mean, I think it's become a lot of people really, this was a great excuse. I mean, this is not a novel concept, but it gave them a great excuse. And now um, they don't want to. Go back. go back,
0: go back. Well, I, you know, I always have worked. I've worked from home for 30 years. So for me, I was just like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> don't <laughs> also, you you can't live in tell tech. me. You can't tell me to work from home. I choose to work from home.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, but yeah. like, what is your diagnosis? Like your friends who um, are so kind of sanctimonious about their fear, it's, you know, it's a kind of weaponized anxiety um, somebody recently put it this way, that, that anxiety has become a religion of sorts. Like, do you have a diagnosis? Like what's your sort of armchair, um, uh, armchair psychiatric assessment?
0: I'm not exactly sure what happened to people. I think that, I think that, um, I don't know. I think that somewhere along the line, people, people were not able to adapt I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to people. I think their their brain, people's brains broke when Donald Trump became president. Yeah. And, and it, it is what it comes down to. And, you know, COVID, what ha- happened while Trump was still president and people were not, were, you know, basically like, you know, did de- behave this way to own him and his followers who didn't right. want to behave this way. and And so it's become like a political symbol. to to live this way. And I just was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I don't like it. It seems wrong to me and I'm going to make fun of it.
1: I know you're not a public health expert, but do we actually know like if places like Texas and Florida had more deaths? I, no. I, I feel it's all been do pretty we, similar is, I mean, is this
0: information available or not I yeah, feel like yeah. i'm I mean, I, I, I'm pretty active on on covid Twitter and you know there are some some sources you see what, that'll say that this was that that there was a um some calling in the red states but I think in at, at the end of the day the numbers um, have been have been pretty similar uh everywhere you know um and uh you, you know you basically like the covid fatality statistics a lot, have a lot to do with the actual health of the communities pre-COVID. You know,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, a
0: lot. That's why it has killed a lot of old people because a lot of them were already sick and vulnerable. And you know, and, and the non-old people who have died were mostly people with, you know, who were severely obese or had you know really bad diabetes or had other other yeah. pre-existing conditions that you know comorbidities, as they say. That's why it's yeah. killed almost no children. Because children, for the most part, are healthy. Right.
1: Or every time it has, does,
0: the ones that had yes. did kill were had like severe syndromes or like serious asthma. You know, it's like one of those. You know, it's like, it, it was like it was like a, a tipping point. And so I, I think I don't think at the end of the day, the stay home policies, the, the the quarantining of the healthy, the masking, the all the social distancing, all the canceling events and shit, none of it means anything none of it did any good. And it's like every, every place is going to end up having the same results in the long run. And so, you know, that's kind of what I make fun of in my book.
1: Yes. Um, you have a, a, a child who's no longer a child. You said he's 20. So you'll, you'll like, be 20 in wh- October. Okay. So how, what, what was it like for him? I mean, we, we hear a lot about the mental health effects on yeah. young people. I mean, he's obviously not a, a little kid, but it sounds like, was he, in college like
0: we're no he, was, end a, of high he school. was a junior junior in high school when it hit um and basically just you know took the kneecaps out of the last two years of high school he had no prom uh he, had, he he did have an in-person graduation but he pretty much like he decided like this is all bullshit so he just he could have gone back in person but he decided to finish high school online um and then he went to college and didn't like it and dropped out after a few weeks because he'd gotten used to not going to school, and now he works uh, as a, a PR consultant for a cryptocurrency and fintech PR firm based out of Brooklyn. Somehow, really? Yes, that's why you just got that job. I'm like, goddamn! You, you know, I went to Northwestern. I mean, he, you know, it's like he he has just a completely different um, way of looking at the world than than we do. I mean, he has. Quite a few friends who most of his friends went to college, but not all of them. You know, not all these these Gen Z kids think college is necessary, right? It's, it's, well, good. It's ex- it's ex- and correct. it might not be. Not. I mean, apparently no. it's not. Apparently it's no. not. So apparently, what does he
1: think about like the media landscape? Does he care? I, like, can he? Does he care about like the New Yorker magazine no, or Random no. House? No, no, no. He
0: reads, you know. Um, you know, so he has some online news sources that he, he reads. He reads Reddit, you know, <laughs> watches YouTube. Uh, he listens mm-hmm. to podcasts, you know. Um, but no, no, none of that, none of those sort of elite media. Sort of, those are, I mean, they're really more Gen X than anything else. But no, he. I he, mean, he, God, he, God knows he doesn't, He does. he's not concerned with NPR, you know.
1: <laughs> well, ne- neither am I. Uh, no, I mean, I'm concerned about with, it. But, but, I'm but concerned Mr. about it. Out.
0: I know a shocking number of people who still are. And, you know, so like, um, you know, that, you know, that's that none, yeah. none of those. No, no, he wouldn't even he, he doesn't know anything about the New Yorker and doesn't care.
1: No, they don't care. I had a conversation with my uh, grad students at Columbia a few years ago about like what they cared about, what they really wanted to be as writers. And, you know, when I was a student at that very program in Columbia in the 90s, all anybody wanted was to be in the New Yorker. That was yes. the only thing, like more than a book contract, more than anything. Yes. And I said this to this student and she said, what? That's bizarre. Like, no, we don't care about that. Like, why? It's just another website.
0: <laughs> You're like, but but they publish Francine prose. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> prose. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They published Amy um, Hempel short stories. You I know, know, it's like, they, <laughs> they're like, who? <laughs> who? They
1: published A.M. Holmes. They published uh, who? You know, who? all the, the great, hits, who? The great who? hits of the, you know,
0: what about Mary Gateskill? Mary Gateskill? She's I love Mary a, Gateskill. A, well, yeah, sure, but she's a great writer, but it's like they don't care about her.
1: <laughs> no, in yeah. fact, I tried to teach a Mary Gateskill uh, piece um back in i guess it was 2017 to some grad students and uh it had too much internalized misogyny for them
0: yeah yeah Could she not doesn't, get through she it. Doesn't, she's not concerned with identity nearly enough
1: No, she's a rape apologist just pretty much across the board so
0: <laughs> I mean, that's, um, what I, when, that's what i always said about you know that's what i was saying about mary gateskill back 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 in oh, yeah. my, uh, my literary fiction classes in college <laughs> anyway yeah so no he doesn't care he doesn't care about any of that stuff yeah you know what you know what honestly megan either do i
1: now i know i'm starting to feel the same way but but what how are you feeling about this kind of like you know audio uh medium i mean so we you and i were part of um a a very very uh a a, a very popular um clubhouse room uh was it maybe like a year and a half ago called yeah. the people who suck or the suck club i think there are probably like um you know may- maybe 12 listeners of this podcast mm. that uh i definitely want to hear about that because they were they were diehard suck club uh, we were so good ever. megan
0: we were so good at that it was you me richard rushfield stacy grenrock woods and um stacy woods she doesn't call herself grenrock anymore and amanda fortini i mean and that was like a i mean yeah you that was like if the view were good
1: no, you it's know? really like if they were going to write, uh, I mean, it was really kind of like, like the velvet underground or something like they're they going to write, uh, kind of like if they were going to write sort of cultural histories of, uh, 2021, <laughs> it would yeah. be not just clubhouse, uh, uh, you know, it would be our group. Um, yeah, we and, so uh, it was, and I don't know, uh, yeah, it's, you know, but it, it had to, you know, it had to end. It wasn't going to, um,
0: well, it was just I, hard. We did it every day,
1: <laughs> every day. Now I that period of time, I, I've kind of blocked it out, but, um, yeah, I remember I got to a point where I was thinking like, wow, why am I, why do I feel so busy and overwhelmed all the time? Like, why, why am
0: I, we why, to why, do I have, why do I have every little, day. Little, we were, little
1: free time? We were doing it every day.
0: We planned every it day. constantly and, and we were texting yeah, constantly. So that's
1: right. And yeah, we had to do a lot of preparation because yeah. just so, okay. So for people don't know who don't know, um, clubhouse, uh, was just kind of, off the ground it was just becoming popular at that time and so we uh did a show that the premise was that we would go into other clubhouse rooms um and write down the first like two or three things that we heard and then come back and report them in our room uh yeah. right and, th- and, and that then, was hilarious. But, then exp-
0: but then we expanded it to other yeah. things that were bothering us and it wasn't really it was more like cultural commentary. Uh, we were drag dragging dumb people on twitter it, it wasn't so political really um it was it was more cultural commentary than anything yeah, else
1: yeah very 70s uh pop culture trivia yeah a lot, well, of, well, richard, a lot of 70s richard tv rushfield, references uh, richard
0: rushfield the editor of the ankler uh very popular uh media entity um was it was his brainchild he, rec- he kind of rec- he was like the um he recruited us he was like the uh the nick fury the samuel l jackson character and he recruited mm-hmm. us and uh and what what a i mean what a what an incredible uh team
1: it was an incredible incredible group of people to work with yep
0: it, it seriously was it was like actually like i've had like <laughs> a few different artist, artistic experiences in my life that i look back upon fondly you know and, and where like the uh rapport was was good and that was one of them i mean we were i know like, we were good we all brought something different yeah
1: and uh uh i know somebody did say uh, Somebody complained to me that we were interrupting each other too much. And yeah. I was like, that that's what, what do you, what, what else would we be doing? We're like, on our Do phones. you know nothing? <laughs> right. On an app. Um, yeah. So, so are you interested in like doing call in or you, you're yes. not, you're really saying a, a fiction writer. I mean, I, I know that you, you're a great god, I
0: would, I would love a radio. I mean, that's why I, I do a little podcast. I know you want to be
1: a talk show host. Yeah. I as do, do I.
0: I, I do I i'm so I good am. at it and so are you yeah um and uh you know i i um I, I have a little podcast that i do uh associated with book and film globe and um i we and i you know every week i talk to you know, my contributors film critics we just talk about books and movies and streaming tv and whatnot and i love it i love it I, my, my wife said she's like you only do it because you love planning the music you love you love saying, you, you love doing the songs. You love, you like, like the, like the inner. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's true. I, I just like, I just like putting the show together. And I like talking to people and talking about shit. And it's a lot easier than working. I could I do know. it. I could do it for hours. I, I can see why Joe Rogan does these four hour shows. I could do it.
1: So all right well is there anything um that we haven't touched on that you that you want to be sure to to mention um anything mm-hmm. more about the novel um Edge of Safety where people can get it do we need to talk about safety moose uh oh, yes. on the, the cover moose, of the, book.
0: the safety moose is you know, he's a he's a he's the um you know he's the the symbol uh, in Canada uh, well there's two things there's two sort of cultural institutions in this future Canada that I write about one is uh the safety moose who is a cartoon character who uh, appears uh mostly to propagandize children about staying home but also like adults have adopted him as a uh, as a mascot as well and he's he's the cover figure of the book my wife drew him and did the lettering oh. for the book she's an artist and uh and and you know he's a kind of a he's sort of a hybrid of Marty Moose from National Lampoon's Vacation, and Bullwinkle, and Mickey Mouse, and you know, a, a, you know,
1: well, oh, and uh, Smokey Bear.
0: Smokey Bear, yeah, he's like the yeah. he's the, he's the mascot of uh, yeah. uh, for safety. And then, of course, the 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 namesake of the book, Edge of Safety, is like an insane soap opera that's on every night that yeah. um, all Canadians watch religiously, and you know, it's a it, it's a usual soap opera fair with like. You know, evil twins and and affairs and mistaken identities and 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 all right. that. But except that everything is is, is does, exists to promote safety. And the villains <laughs> on the show are the ones who don't wear masks or who don't socially distance or who you know act who who break protocol and you know that. Those, and it's a and it's a soap opera that all that has all of Canada enraptured. I guess that's why uh, I I feel and hope that uh, Edge of Safety. Uh, is going to be uh, relevant and entertaining to people is that this was not just, this is now a thing. This is now a way to move in the world um, for a lot of people. And I just, I don't know. I just feel like it's wrong.
1: Yeah. This is the way we live now. So (laughs) where do, where can people get the book? I, you know, um, they don't want to go to the bookstore because that's not safe.
0: Well, it's so not, how can they safely gonna, get the book? I don't book. think it's going to be in bookstores. I think it's it, it's uh, it's print on demand, um, and so you can't, you can't even pre- by the time this airs, it'll be out June twenty first. Um, you can get it on Amazon, and uh, at Adam Bellow publisher wanted me to direct people to conservativereaders.com. dot uh, com. Really? Is, yes, conservative which is the portal uh that where that's the direct portal where they sell it you can get it there or you can get it on amazon or probably any other online but i i don't know if you could get it at your your, local uh uh you know independent like powells.com or whatever i'm not not definitely not powells you know i'm I'm not sure i'm not sure but but you know um that's the thing it's like if i you know i i said to the publisher i was like well how can i tell people to buy because i've been talking about it on my social media and posted the cover and whatever they're like how can i direct people for it? he's like well. You could tell people to sign up for (laughs) conservativereaders.com. And and I'm like, dude, if I told my Facebook feed, you know, my 4,950 friends and followers or whatever on Facebook, that they could sign up for my book on conservativereaders.com. First of all, I would lose a quarter. A quarter of them would unfriend me immediately. No, and, and I'd maybe, I'd get maybe five people. One of whom would be my mother in law. You know, what I mean? it's incredible.
1: That like, as a he's a he's a sophisticated guy as a book publisher. This is really the
0: marketing strategy. Um, he's the thing is, there are a lot of conservative readers, Megan, and um, they don't know how
1: to read.
0: What do you mean? What are you talking conservative? about? Well, I don't know. All I know is that uh, I started this parody Twitter account making fun of COVID policies and COVID. Um, histrionics uh i don't i i and no um, i know i know And i got I'm a lot of, i got a i'm just saying like i got a i got a lot of traction off of that and i think there's i think there's a lot of there's a decent audience for it i just think it's funny that like me you know i came up through mcsweeney's which is like the i know absolute avatar of woke you know I know elite liberal media is now trying to sell books. And here we are. No, I know I
1: look, I mean, Roxanne gay gave me a, a a very glowing review of uh, my, my book, the unspeakable in 2014. And now here we are.
0: I don't think that, I don't think, I don't think uh, your, I don't think your latest book would pass muster with her. I'm just
1: saying. Oh no, it didn't pass muster with, uh, with, with many people. (laughs) Um, and, and it's actually far more anodyne than, than the unspeakable, but you know,
0: yeah, well, Oh, well, it's you know what? we're still here we're we're still going yeah. and i want to I want to give you encouragement you know you're you're you know you people are uh you are still going and you're still doing it, and you're still I'm still a great going job. so
1: thank you. I, thank you thank I know, you.
0: I, I know it's not easy, but you're still you're still in the game, and really that that's all that matters.
1: That's true, even though I don't like games or any sort oh, of I trivia this is, I, I know games. you do i know Just you do maybe that. i'll try to get on um like do they still have like twenty thousand dollar pyramid because i'm not smart enough to go on jeopardy but maybe. Uh, they
0: have. they have some version it's not twenty that's twenty thousand sorry
1: no that would be my point. Twenty thousand dollars is can like I is on, like, like I know. Is
0: what, and that's what I you know. get from being on supermarket stakeout no you could okay you can all, right. all right you we'll than, I, think, I think it's more like five hundred thousand dollar pyramid these days but oh, yes okay there's there's pyramid, there's wheel of fortune. Do
1: they have um, Family Feud? I don't have I don't have any family, but like can you go on Family Feud like I, as a, I think as a, a maybe, like,
0: people, maybe people who suck should do Family Feud.
1: Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we could go against like um, you know, some kind of big Mormon family or something.
0: Or or yeah, or or just a, you know, a TikTok influencers another know.
1: Clubhouse group. Yeah, like a Clubhouse group that's talking about Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, I don't before. think I think that yeah, would be pretty niche. But I, there are game shows for you, you know. Like I'm, I still have. You have to go. Take you have to wait eighteen months before your next game show. If you're on a game show, that's the rule. Um, but it's the okay. law. And uh, I'm oh. like, oh, I could try another trivia show. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's the weakest link, and there's other stuff. But I'm also like, I kind of have my eye on uh, the reboot of Card Sharks. Oh yeah, Posted by Joel. I forgot about that, I, okay. I, I can pick cards. I can clap and dance around enthusiastically.
1: All right. Well, we'll have to have you back on to talk
0: about that. Yeah. About card sharks.
1: Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, congratulations on edge of safety. It's very funny. Oh, um, you. I LOL and, uh, I hope people read it and, um, it's, it should be, it should be quite easy to find, um,
0: a conservative yeah. Readers. So people... com. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, and, uh, I was obviously kidding. Conservative, uh, conservatives do read. Uh, yes, they do.
0: Apparently. Yes. Yes, and they yeah and they 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 also they also um they live in love just like we do
1: yeah, and they purchase and they actually purchase books too, yeah, yes. they actually purchase a lot of things yes. so might be worth might be worth considering uh considering being a conservative I just
0: just don't be married to any one like ideological framework for yourself and you you'll be happier
1: well, that goes without saying, all yeah. right, Neil, thank you, all and right. uh come back again sometime
0: I will anytime.
1: That was my interview with Neil Pollock. His brand new novel, pub date June 21st, is Edge of Safety. Neil has written 11 best selling books of fiction and nonfiction, and he has been published in multiple languages around the world. His essays and journalism have appeared in The New York Times, The New York Times Magazine, The New York Times Book Review. The Wall Street Journal, The LA Times, GQ, Esquire, Men's Journal, Car and Driver, Popular Mechanics, and, he says, pretty much every other American publication except The New Yorker. He is a three-time Jeopardy winner and lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and son. You've been listening to The Unspeakable Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon listener community at patreon.com slash the If Patreon is not your thing, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast in any amount by visiting the show's webpage at theunspeakablepodcast.com and clicking on the donate button on the homepage. Again, if you are interested in the unspeakeasy, which is the heterodox women's community I'm in the process of creating, and lots of people seem very interested in this, you can go to theunspeakeasy.com and see what it's all about. You can fill out a brief form there if you like. Tell me what you might want from such a thing. I would love to hear from you. I'll be working on this over the summer. Try to get it launched in early September. Again, that's theunspeakeasy.com. I'll be back next week with another super nuanced guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time.